Hello, DanceWell listeners. This is Ellie Kushner, and today I'm sharing a conversation with Kristen Koskinen about food and mood. Kristen is a registered dietitian who grew up dancing. Her interest in nutrition began when she was in her teens and danced in a pre-professional ballet program. There, she encountered a lot of talk about diets and weight loss, but not much understanding about nutrition to maximize performance or the disordered eating that too often results from dieting. Now, she's a resource for dancers and those who support them. Like myself, I definitely turn to Kristen when I'm looking for some help supporting the dancers I work with. Thank you, Kristen. Kristen owns a private practice where she offers nutrition counseling with a focus on performance nutrition. She incorporates the functional aspects of food in her approach to help artistic athletes of all levels. Her integrative approach recognizes that nutrition isn't just about the food you eat. It's important to take many factors into consideration, including cultural influences, social norms, and body image especially when working with dancers. That approach extends to an integrated healthcare approach. Kristen often combines forces with other dance medicine professionals to maximize dancer results and outcomes. She's an active member of the International Association for Dance Medicine and Science, Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, a founding member of Dance Medica, and the resident dietitian for Bendy Bodies. She is regularly invited to speak on topics related to performance nutrition and is a frequent contributor to media, including Dance Magazine, Point Magazine, Dance Spirit, Runner's World, Muscle and Fitness, Live Strong, Eating Well, Cooking Light, Shape, Pop Sugar, Huff Post, Bustle, Medium, Oprah, Martha Stewart, Healthline, NBC, and today you get the idea. So let's dive right in. I give you episode 91, Food and Mood. Buckle your seatbelt. On this episode, nutrition, life coach, dance and performance, psychological training. And today you are in for traction. Hi. Hello. This is Ellie Kushner. And this is Marissa Schaefer from Dancewell Podcast. Dancewell Podcast. Hi, Kristen. Thank you so much for being here on Dancewell Podcast today. Thanks for having me, Ellie. Uh, We spoke at the very start of the pandemic when it was just reaching the US. And during that interview, you mentioned food and mood, sort of, it was a brief moment. And it's such an interesting connection. I'm really glad to have you back to talk about it in more detail. Yes, thank you. I'm glad to be back. You know, it was interesting over the pandemic. um, Something that was interesting was that I found that clients started seeking me out with Um, anxiety, depression, or other mood disorders as their primary concern. Mm. In the past, yeah, yeah. And in the past, it had been common as, you know, it was on their list of things, but not necessarily the main item they wanted to address with nutrition. And so I found that to be very interesting and to see the shift in what dancers um, recognized their needs were, especially when they were able to step away from the studio. Yeah, I think a lot of um, self-reflection happened during that time. And that is so interesting that people um, were seeking you out for mood issues. And I wonder if that's also um, 
yeah, something that's just coming through the pipeline, you know, that um, food's not just about performance and appearance. It, it's really a whole, whole self experience. Absolutely. And, you know, when we look at, at mood and mental health, it's, we, unfortunately, I feel like the medical system, we've, we've isolated mental health into its own compartment mm-hmm. as opposed to embracing it as part of, like you said, the whole self model. And we, it's been common to look at, um, to compare the human body to a machine. So we talk about even some of the language we use with nutrition, food as fuel or repair or building blocks. Um, they're, they're effective and they give us a good picture, but they may underplay the reality that our bodies are more like ecosystems and they're complex and inter- interrelated. And it's not even just in the moment. Things that have happened in our past, our genes, even going back to um, our mother's genes and their experience can impact our gut microbiome and and how we respond to different foods, to different situations, to different chemicals. And so there's a lot that's involved. There are there are genes, there's the microbiome, there's there are the nutrients themselves and how they interact in metabolic pathways. So there's a lot to it. And I think when we when we embrace that it's complicated and complex, um, we also start to realize that there's not going to be a one-off approach that works for anyone or may not work for the same dancer um, over the course of the season or over the course of their life, but that things may grow, change, and evolve. I love that because I also, you know, if you've ever taken neuroscience or read any of that, they like to say, you know, the brain is like the computer and it, it's like, no, not really. You know, just the way the body's not a machine and the brain isn't a computer. It's so I love that ecosystem image. And a, a little while back, we had some microbiome experts on the show. And so they were talking a lot about the ecosystem of our body. Um, and so do you find that that is something you have to educate dancers about a lot? Are they looking for um, a more sort of linear equation when they come to you? Yes. Yes. And typically that's it. And so to get to the, honestly, getting to the, to the microbiome, it is critical. And oftentimes it's something we need to progress to because there may be other things that are more imminent that we can address. So for example, a lot of dancers come to me because they are referred by another um, healthcare provider or they may have found me on their own or referred by a friend, which is more common in those who have been interested in food and mood. And what I have found consistently is that dancers have done their best. They've been absolutely done their best to do everything right, whether it was being trying to eat uber healthy or super clean or follow um, a celebrity, whether it's Tom Brady or Missy Copeland or any number of celebrity athlete or artist um, way of eating, and they're confused why it's not working for them. And so we need to look at why that is. Um, for some people, they can, and they can be confused even by what they see on social media. That can be really confusing with what they see um, with regard to intermittent fasting or images, and it's a lot of information to distill, and they simply don't have the resources to do that. So sometimes our first stop 
maybe to look at even blood sugar balances. We know that when um, blood sugar, your blood sugar levels are out of balance, it can drive anxiety. That's a, that is a, a straightforward thing. So we may look at um, helping that dancer as a, that may be our first step. That can be really helpful. And then we can move on to other things because it can be a quick fix. And so it might not be the only thing, but it can be one thing that helps them to feel better. And what I, what I find in people across the board is when they feel better, they have more emotional, physiological, and psychological resources to do more. So overloading someone with too much can be discouraging. It can be something that they feel like they have to muscle through and too much. So what I really try to do with my dancers is find the place where, what's the one place we can start and make simple changes that they can embrace and move forward. And providing some education so they understand why can be really helpful to that end. So um, that may be a starting point for us. And then we may move into more complicated or more um, detailed information or strategies that might include vitamins, minerals, um, probiotics, and things like things like that as part of the physiologic approach. Um, so you mentioned blood sugar levels, and um, already, if we just look at that one issue, I'm imagining there's a lot of ways in which what you eat and when you eat affects your blood sugar and affects your mood, right? So if yeah. you're um, being feeling hungry for two, I mean, we all know we get hang, most people get hangry, right? <laughs> so pushed far enough, most people will get hangry. Um, so, you know, the, the amount of time and then um, a whole chemical reaction is set off. So do you want to talk a little bit more about like how it is that food affects our mood? Sure. So if we look at the, even if we look with, the using carbohydrates as an example what i find frequently is that a lot of dancers have a carb phobia and they avoid them whether they're simple carbohydrates or complex carbohydrates because we've seen trends and we see the, the same trends roll through about every 20 or 30 years so they're familiar but recent trends have somewhat demonized carbohydrates and when we look at food sources it's important to look at we are not just looking at the macronutrient of carbohydrates carbohydrates are effectively glucose, which is a molecule that our body uses for energy. It is it's energy currency for our body. It's the the um, compound that our body uses most effectively and efficiently. Our brain runs off it. Um, we store it in our muscles so that when we're performing or training, we have a store of glucose to active actively fuel our different cells. And so that glucose can come in a simple form, which we might think of sugars, which really means that we just have the, the links of the glucose are short, or they can be complex, and that can be long lengths of, of these sugar molecules. And what makes them complex is the, the size of the molecule, and that makes it longer. It, it means that it takes the body longer to break down to digest and absorb as opposed to these simple sugars which are easily digested and absorbed because that a lot of the cleaving or cutting of those molecules has already been done someplace else whether it's a factory that manufactures um, sugar or whatever it is 
but the other thing that comes along was when we're looking at when we look at food, it's never an isolated issue. So foods that contain carbohydrates also provide other important nutrients, including B vitamins. So B vitamins are absolutely and emphatically required as part of the metabolic process of getting energy. We have these different cycles um, in our body, metabolic processes, and the B vitamins act to help the enzymes so that we can use that sugar. And those B vitamins come along quite conveniently with foods that provide carbohydrate. Foods that provide carbohydrate include fruits, vegetables, and grains, legumes. Those are the primary categories. And those foods also contain fiber. And the fibers from every different plant food that you eat help to support the gut microbiome, which we've touched on a little bit. And that is effectively the second brain of our bodies. It is a powerhouse that helps to, um, it helps with mood, it helps with inflammation, it helps with immunity. Um, it is a communication center. And so there are these microorganisms that include bacteria, viruses, protozoa, other things, that those fibers happen to feed the good ones that help to produce different nutrients. Those bacteria, there are bacteria that pr actually produce nutrients that are good for our health. There are bacteria that produce compounds that help to feed the guts, the gut lining, which keeps it healthy and helps you to absorb all these vitamins, minerals, nutrients that you need to thrive. So looking at, when we look at things, it's really important to not oversimplify macros, oh, I'm going to eat protein, fat, or carbohydrates, but really look at what those carbohydrates do in terms of your mood and health. When we're looking at blood sugar, um, <clears throat> there is no good or bad. It's just what's best at any particular time. So um, complex carbohydrates take longer to digest, and they basically give you a, a steady stream of glucose over time as, the, as it's being digested and absorbed. Whereas the simple carbohydrates tend to hit you quick and give you a fast energy boost. That can be, those fast energy boosts can actually be really important when you're training and help support your training. So if you notice when you're training, you're fatigued, you're getting, um, maybe you're having some brain fog, you're not picking up choreography the way you want. It could be that you need a hit of sugar. Complex carbohydrates feed things longer and bring with them those um, nutrients that you actually need to metabolize and put to use those glucose molecules to give you energy. So the way you're describing this, um, you know, sort of leads me to think, all right, so if our um, gut microbiome is healthy and flourishing and we're getting adequate energy for the activities that we're doing, then we should be in a good mood, right? You know, but like, I also know that that's not true, right? We can have a perfectly healthy um, gut microbiome and be fueling well and still have negative mood states, right? Yeah. And yeah, yeah. what's the question in that? Well, it, I think it goes two ways because one, we can, one, okay, this is, it's going to be two pronged. One is physiologic and the other 
is psychologic. And so, and that, and that kind of um, social emotional component of mode. If we look at the psychology, something that can be interesting is on the surface, someone may be doing everything right. However, sometimes, and, and they may still be having problems. And so sometimes what we can do is look beneath the surface to a next level and see if there's something that's complicating things. So one thing is when we look at stress, so this is bringing some of that psychologic in, stress, whether it's psychologic stress or physiologic stress, and physiologic stress, which dancers don't necessarily understand, can be overtraining. It can be you've been sick. It can be um, you're cold a lot. It can be you've had an injury. You've had a surgery. These are all physiologic stressors, and they're additive, and they can build that food. And psychological stressors roll into that, too. Your body doesn't necessarily know the difference between a psychological stressor and a physiological stressor. It responds oftentimes very similarly. So when you're under stress, your body has increased demands for certain nutrients. So you may feel like on the surface, I'm doing everything that I did before, and yet it's not cutting it. I still I have these feelings of malaise or um, I'm feeling kind of gray or down. Maybe it's that you actually need more of certain nutrients because you're under stress and you and we need to bolster that. You may also have a genetic variant that keeps you from metabolizing certain nutrients that can lead to brain fog, depression, anxiety, and other mood disorders. So um, these genetic variants we call SNPs. And there's single nutri uh, nucleotide polymorphisms, which basically means something got switched around in your genes. And that switch means you don't metabolize things as effectively or efficiently as you might otherwise. And a common one with this is folate. We all need folate for neural activity. And if your body has the MTHFR SNP, you may not metabolize folic acid properly. Folic acid we find in processed foods, and um, it's added to most grains in the U.S. This varies by country, but in the U.S., it's required in most standard foods that have, say, white flour in them. Um, organic foods don't need to have them. And the intention is to help prevent spina bifida in pregnant mothers because so many Americans eat grains and they're accessible and and they eat them, and folic acid has been found to be very effective in this treatment. However, if your body is one that doesn't break it down properly, you may end up with a buildup that can lead you to not feel well and a deficiency in the folate you need to have your neurology operating optimally. So that's one thing that can happen. We can also look at the psychology of of being a human being. And there are many things that can come into play with our mood as it relates to food. And we know that's a big concern in the dance world. Um, and so that has a lot to do with sort of um, the chemicals and the, you know, micro macronutrients. But then there's these other ways that food affects our mood too, right? Besides just, um, through chemicals, which, you know, there's this phrase in, in cooking, right? Mouthfeel, right? Like, mm -hmm. yeah. the, you know, that satisfaction of a crunch or chew or, you know, which, which gives us real 
brain reactions, right? And, you know, comfort food, the associations. I always know when my husband is homesick because he starts to ask if we can go to a German restaurant, (laughs) you know, Uh, there's like these memories tied up in food as well. So do you want to talk about that or touch on it at all? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, this is part of our, our brains and our mental well-being cannot be separated from our bodies and the idea of comfort foods. Sometimes they are there for physiologic reasons. Like um, the in, in milk and cheese, there's a protein called casein. And when that casein is digested, it can produce something called a caseomorphin. And that, and you hear the term morphin in that, which sounds like morphin because it is. It's an, it has an opioid effect, and and um, and we get that. And it's a, it's important in humans or in, and other mammals because it helps a baby to connect to its mother, and to want to, to nurse longer and and do all those things that promote its health. And so, in some people, they may notice that they have um, whether there are gluteomorphins, there are caseomorphins. And so sometimes those comfort foods may be associated with a physiologic effect. Um, and that can be tied to or independent from simply the fact of food bringing up memories. And we have, we, we all have these things. We think about birthday parties and celebrations. And for most people, certain foods come to mind. If, and depending on where you live, you may have a different food that comes to mind. So comfort foods, um, quite often are soft, rich in carbohydrates and easy to digest for a lot of people. When I talk to them, comfort foods will be macaroni and cheese, mashed potatoes, toast, um, soft, easy to eat foods, maybe something that their mom gave them when they were sick and they felt nurtured and cared for. Maybe it's something that was just easy on the stomach when they weren't feeling well and they know that that's a place of safety they can go when they need nourishment. Um, it can be the associations we have, which can go, which can be go either way. They can be comfort or they can be negative. And we can actually, if we have a negative response around food, whether it was an emotional, a negative emotional experience or a negative physical experience, those stick with us and they actually be tied to that gut microbiome. So interesting. Yeah. So interesting. Um, And also that whole epigenetics and yeah, could go really, yeah. Um, Yeah. Now, when you talk about cheese and the, and the more, I'm going to now talk about the morphine in cheese. The morphine in cheese. Um, when we think about sort of uh, those which are classified as drugs, do they all affect people the same way? Like if we think about caffeine, um, is it going to have the same effect on all people? Uh, that is a great, that is a, a great question. So caffeine is a drug and we find it in foods, including coffee, tea, cola, chocolate, whatever. And so one, when we're looking at caffeine, when it's in a food source, there are going to be other compounds that impact how it's digested and absorbed. So just like those complex carbohydrates I mentioned earlier that are going to be slower to digest and absorb because of the the size of them and fiber and other things that come along with them, caffeine, if it's in a food, will be digested and absorbed at a different rate than if it's not. So we could take an easy example of coffee. If you're drinking black coffee on an empty stomach, that may hit you faster 
the same person, the same person, than if you ate breakfast and had your coffee with cream, because the other compounds are going to slow down the digestion and absorption and provide some filling in the stomach so that it, you perhaps don't get the immediate hit. Um, caffeine is interesting because it's one, it's culturally very accepted and two, how it impacts different people is very different. So some people are very sensitive to caffeine and it can have anxio, it can drive anxiety in some people. And those people who have that typically know and they avoid caffeine altogether. Other people um, can drink a lot of caffeine and drink caffeine at night. It doesn't seem to impact their sleep. It doesn't make them jittery. It doesn't do anything. And that can be related to other things, including your genetic makeup. Um, some people tolerate caffeine better. We have studies that show that they're genetic links. And it can be um, dependent on your enzymes. So there are enzymes that break down all classes of drugs. So the enzyme that breaks down caffeine, if you produce a lot of it, mm -hmm. you're going to break down caffeine and it's going to have a shorter half-life than someone who may not. Very interestingly, there are certain things that can actually boost the enzyme that breaks down caffeine, one of which is smoking. I'm mm. not sending anyone smoke, but it we maybe start to look at this like, how are those people who are drinking, you know, having coffee and cigarettes for lunch? We know them, or Diet Coke and a cigarette for lunch, still able to still see, there's my baby, hmm. still able to sleep at night. Um, you know, and it can, it could be, do they, are they, is, there, is your diet a little different? Are you eating cruciferous vegetables that elevate that enzyme? Your, your um, response may be different because the enzyme that breaks down caffeine breaks down other drugs as well. So if you're taking a medication, um, it, you know, you only have so much of that enzyme to go around and your caffeine response may be elevated while your body tends to breaking down another drug that like a medication that you may be taking. Interesting. And also circumstantial. Like I know, um, I, it took me a little bit of unfortunate trial and error to realize that I could not have that second small cup of coffee. If I was going to an audition, I could have a little bit of yeah. coffee, but the combination of it, of performance, anxiety, nervousness for an audition plus caffeine was, not good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it has, and caffeine has, um, an antidiuretic. It blocks the antidiuretic hormone. So it makes you pee more. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that it dehydrates you. That's a separate conversation, but you know, yeah, if you want to make, no one wants to have to use the loo right before an audition or during an, more probably more during an audition. So, you know, caffeine is also something that we can experience a direct effect, right? Like when we talk about the microbiome, we're probably looking at more long-term effects um, of how food affects mood. But um, are there other things that have like a can have a very immediate response in terms of food and mood? Yeah. Um, so. Uh, one that can have an immediate response is the amino acid L-theanine. And we find it most commonly in matcha tea, um, matcha tea, green tea. And the way that it is produced is it is shaded and tenderly cared for. And that shading allows the L-theanine to develop. And L-theanine has, and most people, has a calming 
effect. So um, for people who do struggle with um, with anxiety or performance anxiety, but they still need to concentrate and pay attention, sometimes we, I might recommend that they drink matcha tea if they're not, um, because the caffeine, uh, there's a smaller amount than in coffee or something, but the amount of caffeine does help with um, the stimulant compound does help with alertness, but the L-theanine helps to have a degree of calm. You can take L-theanine as a supplement separate from caffeine too, um, you know, which is something that some people may look at, but that is not, that's not a first stop that we want to take. Right. And probably something you want to do when you're working with a trained professional. Absolutely. Um, and most of us, I think, are um, looking for that state during the day, at least, where we're like alert and um, cal- but also calm, like you described with green tea. You know, I think that's probably how most of us want to spend a bulk of our day. Um, mm-hmm. So what other foods can either disrupt that condition or enhance it? Um, well, one food that the foods that can definitely enhance it are those that are rich in omega-3 fatty acids, particularly EPA and DHA. They, these are, there, there are EPA, DHA, I can say the words out, but it's not going to matter. So let's just keep this. Okay. So EPA, DHA, and ALA are all essential fatty acids. Um, EPA and DHA have particular, um, impacts on brain health and neural activity. Um, ALA, and, and you get them from foods, most notably from cold water fatty fish and grass-fed animal products like um, whole milk, whole grass-fed milk, um, or pastured eggs that include the yolks. The, and this is where I find dancers get into a little bit of trouble because quite frequently, uh, dancers have a more is more attitude. And so if a little is good, more is more. And that I see when we start looking at the uber clean diets or when it starts to reach around to vegan diets. And so if you're going to be vegan, then those dancers maybe then they're eliminating all animal products, including the EPA and DHA that they would get from foods. Then they're relying on ALA, which you can get in plant foods, including flax seeds and other nuts and seeds. But to get the, the, the rub here is that ALA is, the body does not convert it efficiently to DHA or EPA. It's like in a 5% conversion rate. So though you may feel like you're eating a lot and doing all the right things because you're eating the nuts and the seeds and have a, a broad swath of plant foods in your diet, you may still not be getting enough because of what the body can do in terms of converting those to what your brain needs for optimal health and performance. And mood. And mood. (laughs) (laughs) You know, getting into that a little more, one thing that when we're having this conversation, one of my concerns is um, I worry about... um, dancers taking this approach where they say, Oh, I feel sluggish today. I know I, I, I knew it. I shouldn't have eaten that hummus last night or whatever, or, um, Oh, I, it's because I had too much of this or too little of that. Um, 
sort of blaming everything on on what they've eaten, which to me yeah. starts to head towards the disordered eating um, side of the spectrum. And Absolutely. I and I feel like I'm hearing um, people in your profession, the registered dietitians and nutritionists, being much more inclusive about food, like you know, trying to move away from that attitude of like, don't eat this, don't eat that, but more into inclusivity, like try adding a bit more of this, try adding a bit more of that. Um, do you want to comment on that as it pertains to this concept of food and mood? Yeah, absolutely. So when anytime we start, we need to understand the body is dynamic. It is dynamic. And it is unless you have, now, if you have a food a known food sensitivity, known or suspected food sensitivity or intolerance. And suspected means, um, for example, I eat cashews and the next day I feel like I have a hangover and there was no alcohol involved. And every time I have cashews, the next day I have a hang, you know, a cashew hangover, you may start to suspect that you have an intolerance to cashews. That would be an example of saying, you know what? I tried and I learned that maybe that food, there may be something in my um biophysiology that doesn't that doesn't play nicely with me that's one thing that is not the same as saying a particular food is like the an enormous amount on the hummus made me sluggish in fact maybe it was maybe the hummus quite frankly was a great starting point and what we needed to do was add more salt maybe we needed to add more vegetables or a protein source so that you had the long lasting energy or put that hummus with a pita so you've had more carbohydrates to get you through is it the hummus or is it that you get the sodium free kind in an attempt to eat clean and in limiting your sodium you're compromising your hydration and therefore compromising your mood in a way you didn't even suspect because in a diet culture format you we're eating clean and being pure and not having additives or whatever. So um, that would be one thing too, the idea of limiting what you eat. Again, if you have a distinct medical concern, that's one thing. And I would recommend working with a dietitian to make sure that you're covering your nutrient bases if you do. Um, and they can help you because a lot of times eliminating foods, if, if you, if you, treat it therapeutically, you can oftentimes bring those foods back into your diet, um, even in limited doses or strategically. So it's rare that we, um, it's rare that we recommend a food is eliminated for life unless there's a known allergy or medical condition. Um, because when you do one, you limit the amount of nutrients you're making available to your diet. We only know about so many nutrients right now. Science is evolving all the time. Nutrition is too. There are phytonutrients that we are learning about all the time. Our information on the microbiome and fibers is, is burgeoning and evolving. We don't know all the things, but we do know if you limit yourself to a few foods that those nutrients that just because we haven't identified them and attributed a mechanism of action to them yet doesn't mean they aren't still at play in your body so that's a thing and the other thing is when we look at these restrictive mindsets of can't and won't and the, and um, create a combative sort of attitude with food where it's in large part the enemy um, it's something to be controlled or manipulated as opposed to something that 
nourishes and helps us and also should be enjoyed and shared um, and part of making our life rich, we, we start to miss the marks and that can impact our mood as well and leads into these rigidities that are absolutely um, starting points for disordered eating and eating disorders. Yeah, I had two things come to mind. I was in a workshop one time where um, somebody said that they had stopped eating fruit because they were concerned about the sugar load. And the nutritionist, you know, her eyes kind of got big and she sort of <laughs> you know, slowly calculated how she was going to react, you know, and, and just basically said the same thing. Like there are just so many good, healthy, important things in fruit, like when from nutrients to fiber to, yeah, things we don't even know about yet. When you start to eliminate an entire group like that, it's just such a missed opportunity. Absolutely. And even when we look at looking at fruit, particularly, you know, where are you getting your fruit? I recommend people, you know, it'll vary the nutrient um, makeup of your food will vary by where it was raised or grown. So if you have the opportunity to go to upstate New York to get your apples, right, if you're in a different area and can try their apples, the soils in those grounds are going to produce a different product, even if it's the same variety of apple, um, because that's the way nature works. And so even within your fruit groups, you know, broaden it, expand it, expand it. If you're going to eat berries, great. And then if you're going to eat berries, try to get them from different states, locations. Um, you know, when you're, when you're traveling, eat them locally. So they don't, um, they don't, we don't lose a lot of those nutrients in travel plus support your local, your local farmers. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And then the other thing, when you were, um, just speaking earlier, I just think so much about how, you know, we see dancers becoming so stressed about whether or not they're eating the right things. And it's like the stress is more serious and concerning probably than, than the food choice in a lot of ways. Right. So, um, oh, yeah, there's so much value in like eating something and, and, and thinking while you eat it, this is good for me and this is good for me, and this is good for me, <laughs> you know? Yeah, the, the, you're right. And the amount of stress that goes in, whether for any number of reasons, whether it's, you know, now that we have, we have so much information. So um, it used to be limited to, is this going to make me fat? Right. And we still, it's not, that hasn't gone away. We, we're still working through that a lot of times. But now, is this going to be the thing that fuels me optimally? And this idea of hitting perfection with yeah. what you eat all the time it's like your body is dynamic and what we want to do we can set you up and and if we're at an 80 percent you're, you're gonna you're gonna get there you're you're gonna get there and it's you're gonna be okay right your body should be okay in a wide range of situations your body shouldn't need absolute perfection in order to function well yes and if and if if it freaks you out to think about not having total control over your food because you're concerned that the the wheels are going to fall off the bus, it may be time to consider your relationship 
with food. Um, again, we're keeping this separate from if you have a, a medical condition, um, that's that's different. But if you're a, if you're really so um, controlling about what you eat that you become nervous or anxious about not preparing your own food, what might happen if you go out to dinner, if you aren't able to look at the menu, if you're going someplace that doesn't meet the rigidity of your um, super uber clean diet, it may be it may be time to sit back and look at things. I think in closing, I have one particular question. I feel like dancers always want to know, what should I eat before a show? I don't know if that's your experience, but that's been our experience. Um, so looking at this question in terms of this lens of food and mood, is there anything uh -huh. in particular that you would say, mm, maybe steer clear of this or that, or you could try including um, lots more of this, um, anything that you think can put people in that sort of uh, alert and calm and energized state that we are usually looking for in a performance. Yes, absolutely. So the first thing that's going to matter is timing, nutrient timing. This is where things start to become very specific, um, particularly if you're working with a performance dietitian. So if you're eating three hours out before your show, you're, you're probably going to have a standard meal. And then the closer we get to performance, and this is going to depend on what what's your, what you know what's your role if you're going to be very you know some people we know have are exerting more during a performance than others and so depending on what your particular situation is you may be like you know i'm just kind of i'm i'm background this person i really i'm part of I'm a human boss. scenery, <laughs> human scenery. And that's we've okay. all been there yeah <laughs> we've all been there and you're an important part of that production um but you may not need to be uptight about it don't get uptight about it however if you have more things going on the closer you get to the show the more we're going to look at making sure that things are digestible and i always recommend people try things out well in advance so try things try foods during rehearsals try foods during dress rehearsals try foods so that you have a strategy that you feel comfortable you don't want to have a psychologic oh crap is this going to work or not you know moment when you get to the theater, you want to know, yes, these things work for me. These things make me feel comfortable. I recommend people have a range of things that they um, can choose from because, you know, like I said, your body's dynamic and what may sound good one day or your needs may shift a little. So have perhaps more options than you're actually even going to use. Um, if you're at the theater in your 15 minutes to 30 minutes before you go on because you're going to be, you know, you're not going to have time to eat and it's going to be intense, I recommend soft, gentle foods, white rice, um, applesauce, mashed potatoes, things that are mostly carbohydrate, easy to digest, soft on the tummy. I also recommend you make sure that you're getting, that you're um, well hydrated and that you're make, keeping up with your hydration through the show. And that may not just be water. That may include things like salted melon or berries. Um, we get a little that can get a little touchy with makeup and costuming, but, <laughs> you know, um, or, or sports drinks that, that have sugar in them. Why? Number one, the sugar is going to give you um, quick and ready energy. And two, sugar actually helps you to absorb 
the liquid in your drink. So it could be Gatorade, it could be Element. Um, some people like liquid IV. You know, know what works. The Europeans do a lot of diluted juice. Yeah, diluted apple juice. And I add salt. Yeah, it's the diluted juice with a pinch of salt, um, you know, or you like a particularly orange juice, which has a little potassium. And you got to make sure you're getting salt. That's what makes something a hydrating, not potassium, not coconut water, not other things. It's salt. So if you do the juice, make sure you add a pinch of salt. Yeah, and the mood effects of um, dehydration are pretty instantaneous, too. I mean, oh, yeah. if you've ever been. No one truly dehydrated it's a yeah oh very direct mood change right the body starts to feel a sense of panic it can be the same thing you know and, and that anxiety because it's it's a, a threat to your to your life and so your body's number one objective is to keep you alive it's not actually we may think it's to dance but it's actually your body will do what it takes to keep you alive whether it means having you crump and crash so you don't do any more harm mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. or or, you know, or having a distinct craving for sugar or something else, it'll do what it needs to, um, to keep you alive, which is a good thing. Thank you so much, Kristen. This has been, um, full of information. And is there anything else that you want to close with on food and mood? Um, I can't, I can't really think of anything right now. It's such a vast and rich topic that we could probably go on for a few hours, but um, I think we've, I think we've hit a lot of the marks. Yeah. And I think if, you know, if we've piqued your interest out there and um, you're starting to think a little bit more about how food is contributing to your um, emotional state, uh, reach out to a registered dietitian and we'll include Kristen's info in our show notes. Yeah, the dancers may. I did. I wrote an article for Dance Magazine, a, I don't know, a year or two ago, um, on food and mood. And so, if they Google Dance Magazine food and mood, that'll give them some ideas too about micronutrients that they may want to make sure they're getting, as well as um, dance bag ready snacks that are that they can use to help support their mood. We'll include that in our um, website resource page. Great. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you, Ellie. I'm always so glad to talk to you. On behalf of Marissa and myself, I, Ellie Kushner, want to say thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on this episode of Dance Well Podcast. Our intro soundscape was composed by the dynamic duo Brendan Berry and Dylan Ezzy and dancer-designer Katie Dean crafted our visual image. To those of you who have made this season possible by contributing to DanceWell, we are infinitely grateful. We wouldn't be where we are without you. Your donations help pay for our SoundCloud membership, website fees and upgrades, and our recording technology. If you too would like to make a donation, to dance well, please follow the link in the description of this podcast to visit our GoFundMe page. We thank you in advance for your support. And lastly, if you like what you hear, we invite you to go to iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud and search Dancewell Podcast to subscribe. You can also view all of our episodes and learn more about this podcast by visiting our website, www.dancewellpodcast.com. And if you have any questions or want to get in touch, email us at dancewellpodcast at gmail.com. Bye.